On today's show, we discuss resistance from some NBA players to resuming the season in July. We also have some great interviews. First, you'll hear from Coach Nick, who breaks down the X's and O's from various NBA games. We also talk to Isabel Gonzalez, who's a reporter for The Layer New Mexico and writes for Mid-Major Madness, which is hosted on SB Nation. Catch us on all your favorite podcasting platforms, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I'm Justin Goodgen with Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? Good to be with you again. And another episode of the TDP. How yeah, good, man. Good to be back um, in person. Yeah. <laughs> Set up over Skype. Yeah. That's just so crazy. Um, on today's show, we have two guests. I'm a rare doubleheader of guests, but um, I think you'll enjoy both of these interviews. We have Coach Nick from the Basketball Breakdown on YouTube. He's responsible for seeing all those cool breakdowns of all your favorite playoff series or favorite players on YouTube, so check that out. And then also we have Isabel Gonzalez, um, sports reporter for the Layer New Mexico, covering the New Mexico Lobos, and also writing for Mid-Major Madness on SBNation.com. So two interviews, two interviews excuse me, for you today to check out but first um we have to discuss the latest news with the nba um as we all know the nba is set to resume july 31st but there seems to be some roadblocks and that's regarding the players at the moment and leading the charge is kyrie irving and now there's really some puzzling questions to ask regarding this but first we should discuss the facts so they had a players-only call um, this past Friday, so you're listening to this. I believe it was, what, June 12th of 2020. Um, I'm going to read you basically what this call was. This was a Zoom call of all the NBA players. So this is a quote directly from Kyrie Irving from Deadspin. Um, quote, I don't support going to Orlando. I do, I, I'm not with the systematic racism and BS. Smells like a little fishy. Whether you want to admit it or not, we are targeted as black men every day we wake up. Um, Dwight Howard echoed this sentiment. He said, um, to unify my people would be an even bigger championship than actually winning an NBA title. Um, it looks like the Lakers, um, Avery Blatt, Bradley, and um, Portland's Carmelo Anthony um, have supported Irving's position. Um, and it looks like also that the younger players have some concerns um, res- um, in terms of the risk in, in playing in the bubble kind of, I don't know, environment. If they were to get hurt, um, they want some insurance to make sure that their future earnings is not affected. So um, this is led by many younger players in the league, Kuzma, Mitchell Tatum, um, Anabayo Fox. Um, they've all formed pretty much a coalition to make sure that they – get hurt during this abbreviated season, um, their wages won't be affected. Um, so we do have kind of that side of the equation, and we also have um, this opinion by Kyrie as well, which is very interesting. This is another quote from Yahoo Sports saying, there are only 20 guys actually getting paid, and I'm part of that. Let's not pretend there's a tiered system purposely to divide all of us. And then we have LeBron James um, basically stating that the season should start um, the, the season um, should not um, – that it will not detract from the protests, basically that by play resuming, you were able to bring more attention to social causes as well. But former player Steven Jackson opposes that. He's the one that was friends with George Floyd and has a very striking resemblance towards him, basically echoing Kyrie Irving's um, position, stating that the season should not resume just because of the political unrest. And then, Matt, you also have a comment as well. Um, from another player, Austin Rivers. Yeah, Austin Rivers, 
first of all, that was a mouthful. Thank you for nice. running all that sure. down for us. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, for a week that had no basketball in the court, <laughs> and really we're talking about one issue, there, there was a lot that went down, a lot of back and forth, and rightfully so. Uh, but, yeah, another person kind of, quote, unquote, maybe leading the charge on the other side, on the side being more pro bringing back the NBA was Austin Rivers. And his post says, quote, trying to find the correlation. Us coming back would be putting money in all our, parentheses, NBA players' pockets. With this money, you could help out even more people and continue to give, more importantly, your time and energy towards the BLM movement, which I'm 100% on board with, because change needs to happen and injustice has been going on too long. But also, not to mention, there are plenty of NBA players I know who need them paychecks. 99% of the NBA hasn't made the money a guy like Kyrie has. Not to mention NBA basketball is a predominantly African-American, and a lot of our audience is too. Us Us proving entertainment and hope for kids is important. I think you meant providing there. Sure. Um, Also keeping some kids indoors and watching basketball games on TV instead of maybe going out and getting into trouble, parentheses, do the unfair and unequal environments a lot of African-American kids are placed in is important too. Not saying basketball is a cure for that, but basketball can maybe provide a distraction. Um, he, He goes on a bit longer here, but basically he does add to paraphrase some support for Kyrie Irving and he understands where Kyrie Irving is coming from. He's basically just showing the other side and saying that there can be a positive to coming back for the NBA season. Gotcha. Um, I'll I'll state my opinion. I, I think Kyrie comes from a good place. However, I think he has no leg to stand on here along with the players backing him. I'm surprised he has. I'm surprised I'm not surprised there's players backing his position. I understand what the political unrest is it's going on, but the problem is is that you don't have an action plan as to how to make your vision a reality. So his position is basically stating, okay, you want to sit out because of there's you know social unrest and because of the disenfranchisement of black people. So why don't you address that in the NBA? So he said it himself, like the tiered system of pay. So how are you going to address that? Are you going to take a pay cut? <laughs> He's not. Let's make that clear. So how <laughs> – what are we doing? Are you saying it should be spread the wealth between the, the top tier players and the lower end players? What exactly do you want? Do you want more, you know, mentions of political issues during the games? There needs to be some kind of guidelines so the NBA can negotiate with. I mean, right now you're basically wanting to sit out with no solution in sight. That make that doesn't make any sense. So in this position, I think this whole battle he's going to lose. And then also, if I'm a player, really. If I'm a top player in the league, I don't understand why you're listening to Kyrie Irving. He's hurt, and his team is virtually eliminated from doing anything in this playoff scenario. I mean, it's clear that Kyrie and Kevin Durant are not going to participate um, in this bubble scenario anyways just because of their injuries. Um, So I don't really understand why they're being so vocal when they have no stakes in this matter anyway. And I don't want to hear about also the goodness of their heart. I mean, these are two very selfish him and Kevin Durant basketball players. I mean, they're about themselves. Let's keep it real, at least on the basketball court. Um, so from an NBA perspective, I if I'm another player, I, I'm taking his opinion with kind of a grain of salt. I don't truly necessarily take his position super seriously. 
We'll see. Um, I think what's more concerning is this is the first time we've seen the players not be on a unified front. Typically on serious issues, they're united. And this is the first time that we've seen some splintering between the players. So it's going to be interesting to see Chris Paul, LeBron, somebody, you know, I think even Giannis nowadays, James Harden, some of the more popular players in the league and players that are in contention for championships I think it's going to put their foot down saying, hey, guys, we're, we're playing here. If you have you know, health concerns, pay concerns, all that's warranted. But if you don't have any like legit concerns with solutions, then we have nothing to talk about. Uh, what's, what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I, I think that was well stated. I agree with a lot of what you just said there. Uh, the other thing I'll add is that you know, keep in mind that I mean, my, my advice, if the players were asking me my opinion, which they aren't, but I'll give it anyway because we have a podcast is uh you know you have individual rights as a player and nobody is making you come back to orlando the nba has been very clear that that they want everyone to be safe as possible and they also want you to be able to be involved in the blm movement as, as much as you would like to be so if if you do not want to come and play in Orlando if, if you feel like your health is threatened for example yes obviously that comes with consequences to your salary uh, but you are not of course forced to be there uh, so I, I think first and foremost everyone as an individual should do what they feel is best um, having said that I I do agree with your sentiment that it's unfortunate that Kyrie is injured because his statement and his position could have a lot more weight if there was real money on the line for him. You know, he's he's injured. He's made it clear he's not coming back, as you said. Um, so I think we've kind of seen that breakdown in, in that Kyrie has it made financially. I mean, of course, he doesn't want to miss out on any money, as, as nobody in their right mind should. Uh, but then you have a guy like Austin Rivers who is – you know, kind of like a six-man type of player, a, a guy who's has not always been a, a starter in this league, has a lot more at stake. So it kind of would make sense that he has the opinion he has as well. So I, I think you shouldn't, uh, as Kyrie Irving, expect full support, especially if you are a player who is maybe ninth or tenth position down on the bench and you are just hoping to be in the league again this year or next season when we have a more normal looking season. Uh, I mean, things like that stick with coaches and and with the league in general, where if you are at the end of that bench, so to speak, and you don't come to Orlando, let's be honest. I mean, sports, very competitive, very few roster spots on professional sports teams, even in Europe is a lot more competitive. So that may be, it for your NBA career potentially if if you don't uh, come in and play and if this is how you want to make your livelihood I certainly don't fault people for wanting to do that and like you've said um, and like like LeBron feels uh, I do think you can have a powerful impact still considering there's going to be maybe potentially just baseball as competition as far as eyes go on sports so you will have the attention of the nation and the world if you come back as the NBA. So if, if you guys can come together as the Players Association and figure out maybe a more focused message, as you kind of alluded to there, maybe you can really promote that and make this a positive thing for uh, civil rights and, and for the nation as a whole to act as uh, like a healing factor in a way.
Yeah, I feel you. And if I'm really any other players, especially in the NFL, if I'm reacting to this, I'm laughing. I think this is ridiculous. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> really? I mean, you can't even protest in, you know, in our sport, but in the NBA you have freedom to express yourself any ways you want to, and that extends to the WNBA as well. I mean, it's it's just asinine. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. So, I until Kyrie and this opposing faction of players has real solutions into solving the problem, it's hard for me to really be sympathetic and empathetic to their side when you don't have any solutions. I mean, if these players are actually serious, then retire now because racism is not going to be solved in our lifetime. So retire, don't ever play again. <laughs> Honestly, don't play. Sit, don't play. Retire now. Because once you come back, you're going to look, be looked at as a, as a hypocrite, right? I mean, if things were as normal, I mean, with this season, would you guys want to play in the Olympics? I mean, would you guys want to play, resume the, the season as normal? You know, if there wasn't a pandemic and then, you know, training camp does start, um, I believe what usually end of September, you know, early October. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you sit out during that? Probably not. You'd be there. So to me, you only you're kind of like using the pandemic as an excuse to just sit out because of the social cause as well. And you're hurt. You're not going to be there anyway. So it's ridiculous. Um, I don't know. I just think if these players are legit about this cause, you need actual solutions. You want the NBA to take, and they're open. I mean. Adam Silver is more than open to working with the players on, on different issues on the happening outside of sports. So we'll see. I know him and a bunch of other commissioners are going to be on Sports Center tomorrow. They're doing a whole thing about the pandemic and about the social unrest in the country. It's going to be, you know, NHL, um, NBA. So the Gary Batman, Adam Silver, Roger Goodell. Um, you're going to see the MLB commissioner, commissioner as well. They're going to be discussing this issue. So. We'll see what Adam Silver has to say about this tomorrow on SportsCenter. I mean, I think Mike Greenberg's hosting it. But to me, until we actually see some real solutions, I, I'm not really buying into this this cause here. Another thing I'd add, I, I mean, how powerful would it be if instead of this, this kind of vague target that you mentioned, uh, you know, with basically don't hold your breath on, on the end of racism as a whole – but, I mean, how powerful would it be? You know, Kyrie, he's had a lot of backlash in the past for, for some things he's said. I think he's a very thoughtful, intelligent guy, though, as I think many, many of the NBA players are. How powerful would it be if they actually had a list of, hey, America, if you want basketball back, we want to look at change in qualified immunity laws. We want to look at change in police unions. I mean, that could be something where you actually have a target that can maybe be achieved or you can put some real uh, legitimate pressure on that. Thank you. You're exactly right. I mean, let's you brought that up. I think you're especially within New York with all the controversy with their police department. What what about addressing that? Right. Like there's different benchmarks. I mean, there's an issue when I'm hearing the radio DJ for Hot 97 systematically discuss the issues within their police department. And with Kyrie, you know, you want to be on this platform, then I think you need to list those reasons like Matt said and actually be like, hey, we're not going to play until the police department address this, this and this. Then then I'm with you. Then you have something. But to me, just to speak in more generalities, that's not going to help things at all. Um 
So we'll see. I think you bring up a great point, Matt. And I, I think, you know, bringing up these different subjects, the NBA is open. Remember, they pulled the All-Star game out because, you know, they disagree on a political stance of one of Charlotte. Um, so they've done this before. It's not out of the ordinary. I mean, look at Donald Sterling. I mean, even though in the end he got billions of dollars, the, the point is that they removed him because of what he, he said. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back with the L.A. Clippers. But the president is there. I mean, it's possible. So to me, I, I don't like Kyrie's leg to stand on here. And until he has the solutions you talked about, Matt, um, there's really nothing to talk about. And honestly, I think this is kind of getting blown up to be something more than it's not. I think all the players want to play. I think mean, this is just kind of like a mini controversy. And I think in the end, um, we'll kind of forget about this unless they bring up some real concerns. I think you're right about that. Um, let me throw a hypothetical at you just um, just to put a different yeah. spin on this, I sure. guess. Um, so let's say, let's say Kyrie is pretty successful, like more successful in his push than you and I both think he's going to be. Sure. Let's say a large number of players don't go to Orlando. Let's put the number at like 30%. Sure. I mean, that would be huge. Yeah, it that would. would be huge. Yes. Do you see, you know, with new CBA contract negotiations coming up, if 30% of the players, let's say, didn't, let's say, quote-unquote, play along in Orlando for their teams, would you see the after-effect of that being more damaging maybe to players establishing their position in the new CBA? Would they lose power as, as a player's union? Uh, in new CBA as organization. A, it's a good question. So what, what is their position, right? So to me, this to sit out because of social unrest is not good enough. You need – it needs to be a position. Then they shouldn't play. I don't – then what's – what are you negotiating? I don't – that's the thing. Like you sit out because of social unrest and racism in our country. What do you, what do you want? So you, you need to negotiate. It's just like the same thing where you want to get paid more money. Well, if you don't say about television revenue, you don't say about like, you know – back-to-backs, um, I don't know, the different minutia of how your contract works, then what are you asking for? It's, it's the same thing. So if they were to say, hey, if 30% of the players were to sit out, we have, you know, this, this, and this. You know, NBA teams that have um, police departments that have a known record for uh, police brutality among all minorities, we're not going to play in that city. Bam, there you go, until there's reform. That's something you're hitting. That's huge revenue, right? Like the NBA is a huge revenue getter. That's not just wanting to play basketball in a city. That, that city's missing money. That's, that's how you provide change and really punish cities for not doing the right things in terms of their uh, police departments if that's the way they want to go. So to me, it needs to be laid out. I mean, you just can't sit out just because you want to or sit out because of, on a generality and not have reasons to. Um, so to me, if they're actually serious about this, we need to see some reasons. Um, some things stayed out. And honestly, they have more of the league, to be honest. I think if Kyrie would say, hey, LeBron, look, I, I understand we want to play. I understand what's going on. I understand that, you know, everything, I'm hurt. But this is bigger than us in terms of our cities. And we have a real chance to make a difference here. For instance, you know, California, in terms of Los Angeles in particular, I mean, you you play with the L.A. Lakers. We've we seen with their track record of police violence is not great at all. So what if we hold each of our NBA cities accountable for their police departments, you know? Lists, having a list of guidelines and benchmarks they need to hit for us to play basketball there. Then there we go. That'd be huge. I think you would have most of the league. Then we got something. But until then, 
Like, just sitting back for nothing, is we're wasting time. Like, what are we doing? So I, I'll, it's a long-winded answer, but I, I feel you. I just, I don't know, unless you have specific guidelines laid out, that's necessarily going to happen. I'd be shocked if 30% sit out for just these reasons that are not clearly stated, especially from Kyrie Irving, who has had a kind of tricky pass, to say the least, um, not only with just the general fans, but also the players themselves. Yeah, and I think I think one thing we have to keep in mind, and, and I think one thing I'm, I'm kind of alluding to is in the NBA, you know, the players have more power than, than any other league. Correct. I mean, you compare to a sport that you and I like, like mixed martial arts, and think about <laughs> what power do those fighters have? Zero really? percent. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess my concern would be if – Kyrie is successful, let's say, in his push. And again, keep in mind what I said earlier. As an individual, you should make the best choice for yourself as a player. Um, But let's say the owners view these players as more volatile, volatile, or they can't rely on them to be there to fulfill their contracts, let's say. Uh, You know, down the road, I wonder if the relationship between players and owners uh, gets eroded. Now, you might say... I don't care because of the issue that we're protesting and working towards, which I think is fair to say. Uh, But also you have to keep in mind that that the NBA is a business and operates that way. So I'm just kind of wondering, like we have, I believe the the contracts are like 51-49, right? From from the salaries. Players get 49% of of the the contracts that the NBA, like the TV contracts, for example. so I'm wondering if, you know, we see more players dropping out, if that power shifts to owners pushing like 60-40 instead or in yeah. in that line, you know, which would make for a brutal CBA. I would um, feel like they would lose that battle. Players wouldn't play for that. I mean, yeah. the players have maximum leverage. Um, and I, I understand what's going on. The, the pandemic is going to affect it. You're losing gate revenue. I mean, that's the, you, know, you brought up mixed martial arts. The president of the USC said, or said it was correct. I mean, every sports league is getting destroyed because there's no gate. So just imagine with the NBA specifically, especially when playoff season comes around, when those playoff tickets are just sky high, that's gone. Not to mention concessions, like mm-hmm. the you know, hotel revenue, everything's reciprocal. I mean, it's just like when LeBron left Cleveland, how you, know, you lost all that revenue. Same thing with – just imagine that, but – you know, every single major NBA city. So it's going to be a major hit, and the players aren't going to get as – it's, it's going to affect it. They're going to get less. Um, I think at the same time, the players just do have to leverage. You can't bring in replacement players. It's just the league is no – it's a player-centric league. You're, you, you know this, Matt, because you pretty much follow players only, right? You're not necessarily a fan of a, of a particular team nowadays. It's more, you know, you – you're not the only one. A lot of pretty much I'm in the minority where I follow the Bulls no matter what. I mean, a lot of mainstream fans follow their favorite players. So if their favorite players aren't playing and you're seeing like G League players play for the Lakers, is that going to be really effective? I mean, you're going to be diehard um, just basketball fans. I mean, I don't think we want to be sitting here breaking down G League players. I don't, I don't think so. Um, right. So I think at the end of the day, the players have the leverage, and that's and that's that's my point. It'd be very frustrating for them for Kyrie to be successful without any kind of solution. Like, what are we doing? Like, what I mean, what terms does he want? Then just retire and don't play again, find another occupation. So I think with this, it's I guess a good start. If I'm thinking positively, 
in terms of getting the attention, getting the conversation started. But then I need you think you need the players need to use their leverage overall in enacting social change. So we'll see. Yeah. I think that's good, man. Yeah. You got anything else for this week? That's it. We got two interviews for you. Again, we have Coach Nick um, from B-Ball from Basketball Breakdown on YouTube. Um, he's going to pretty much go over his, the genesis of how he started the YouTube channel, his passion for basketball, and his opinion on a variety of subjects. And then we have Isabel Gonzalez. So in particular for all of our local um, Lobo fans in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, if you want to get a great season preview um, of what, what to expect, what players to look out for, um, and it's her background and how she got started um, as a writer for The Lair, New Mexico, and then Mid-Major Madness on SB Nation, um, check out that interview as well. Um, so for Matt Thomas, I'm Justin Goodrum. Please leave a five-star rating for us if you like us or just leave a no-star rating if you hate us. Either way, um, just we do Send love us your... an email if you hate us. Yeah, right? <laughs> I would love pretty emails. That would be cool. Um, please drop us a line, triple double podcast at gmail.com, or leave us a rating on iTunes. We look at every single rating uh, negatively or positively. We'll check you next time. Peace. Welcome, everybody. It is our distinct pleasure today to welcome – Coach Nick onto the podcast from B-Ball Breakdown. What's up, Coach Nick? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to have you. And I wanted to start first by by plugging uh, your your resource of information and, and content that you have. Uh, so you run and manage the B-Ball Breakdown YouTube channel. Um, can you tell us kind of how you got started in that i mean obviously i assume a love of the sport of basketball is the first thing that brings you into that but how did you get going on that how long have you been doing the channel um well let's see i started in 2010 in may uh having no idea what i was doing with it uh back then there were probably 20 or 25 people who were deemed internet uh youtube stars and they were all making like six figures screwing around in front of the camera didn't matter what it looked like, didn't matter what it sounded like, but they had a, they developed, developed a following and they were able to monetize that. And so I had a buddy who was managing a few of them, and we decided to try and reverse, reverse engineer what they, they had learned by accident with, with them and help me to apply it to a channel. And then from there, I had to figure out, well, what would the channel be? And, you know, I looked around for a little while and I realized, well, I do have a lot of editing experience and I do have a lot of coaching experience. So uh, why not, uh, you know, combine those two things? And uh, in 2009, uh, ironically enough, I just I'm finishing right now breaking down each and every game of the Bulls Celtics 2009 first round series. And that was what sort of inspired me because I felt like uh, there was a lot of missing analysis that needed to be said about one of the most epic playoff series we've ever seen. And I figured I could be that guy to fill that void. Awesome. Coach, That's so cool. Uh, Justin, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Coach Nick, you mentioned this missing analysis. Um, are you meaning from the television broadcast? Can you can elaborate on that. What do you think is lacking from the color commentators we see now? I know Matt has huge beasts from Reggie Miller, Chris Webber. He's just, <laughs> not his favorite type of commentator. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, just, what, what do you think is lacking in terms of color commentary and what the fan is missing? Sure. Well, you know, I mean, everyone was going crazy over the games. And listen, they were dramatic. I will say that. But uh, my memory at the time was that, boy, there's a lot of like really bad defense being played. Um, and so I was sort of like coming almost from a negative point of view where it's like this isn't really the best basketball. These are not like the two teams playing at their heights, going at each other and, you know, throwing haymakers. 
the funny thing is, is going back through it now, 11 years later, um, I don't know if I have that exact same feeling. I mean, there are certainly a number of just boneheaded mistakes. It's like, what are you thinking? Uh, and then, you know, you realize that some of them were called out on the broadcast as well. But um, I do think that now the, the connections I'm making, at least as far as, you know, when you look at the overall series, you know, that like the Bulls, for instance, you know, they run the same set so often, like more than I feel like any other team would have ran uh, that action. But it worked. It's, you know, no use. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and so, like, those are connections you can make. Like, hey, remember this play? Oh, they're still running it in game four and they're running it in game six. And here's how it worked. Uh, so those are the kind of connections that I think uh, I'm making now and that they, they, they don't often get made over the course of a series. Hmm. What is uh, kind of your process as you are watching a game, kind of digesting the game tape? Are you taking notes, watching games live usually? Are you stepping back and, and just rewatching a ton of film? What's kind of your process in making these videos? Uh, I, I think it's both. Um, a lot of times I'll be watching games live and tweeting about them and tweeting little video snippets. And, uh, and then if it comes down to doing a breakdown of the whole game, as I've got it kind of in my head, it's easier to go through it and figure out what I want. But often, as, as often as not, I, I haven't watched the game live and I'll have to go through it later. And um, so the process tends to be, you know, um, maybe watching all of the makes by a team and then starting to get a handle on, OK, are there any patterns here? How are they scoring? Who is scoring from where, uh, from whom? And, and, you know, you start to realize, OK, well, then, you know, this is a problem because this defense isn't playing it properly and they're not adjusting. Right. So you start to kind of make those connections, too. Um, you know, or you might be a thing where there was a run in the second quarter where the team went on a, you know, 20 to four run and they never lost the lead after that. Well, you know, then I, I might look at that and say, here is what changed the game. Here's what decided the game. It was in the second quarter. Uh, and once they did these, you know, few buckets, um, you know, the other team never could recover. So, you know, it's a kind of a host of different things like that. And, uh, it, you know, as long as it kind of catches my eye and makes me interested in it, interested in doing it, then I'll do it. Can you elaborate on the, the clips you use specifically? I know you use a lot of NBA clips, and obviously there's copyright issues that comes with that. Um, is the NBA much more forgiving in terms of using their content compared to other sports? Um, have you ever dealt with YouTube in terms of dealing with that? I mean, it's I deal with it all the time. And uh, luckily, the NBA is the most forward-thinking league of all the pro sports in the, in the U.S., and they get it. They understand the value of um, – you know, their footage out there on YouTube and people being able to share it and do things with it. It just increases the brand. So luckily now I, I believe the NFL has maybe loosened up a little bit, but like for the, for up until very recently, you probably wouldn't see any NFL footage anywhere on YouTube. They would yank it down immediately. Um, I think same for baseball. So without question, the NBA gets it and they allow it, uh, you know, and you know, it's not without its minefields uh, on occasion, but uh, for the most part, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been lucky that, the one sport that I have a lot of knowledge in is the one sport that they, you know, allow it to happen. Yeah, I think if anything, it's it's to their advantage in a way to let you use some of that content because you are promoting greater knowledge of their their sport. And you are, uh, I think, helping people become even deeper fans of the sport of basketball as a whole uh, in in making a smarter fan base with a lot of the, the video analysis that you're doing. Um, moving more broadly, just just kind of want to get to know more of you as as the basketball coach and fan. Is there a, 
particular era of basketball that's that's your favorite that you've watched either for nostalgia's sake or maybe also uh maybe the same or maybe not for like the x's and o's of the sport that's a great question uh you know i i am a a uh, an amateur and uh, basketball historian you know and i and i it's actually not on i used to have really good recall of all the dates and all the numbers and all the names and it's been a little bit of a while since I studied it, but uh, I used to really get a thrill out of finding really old footage and watching how they played, primarily because you'd see, oh, they're still doing that today, but they can dribble a lot better now or they can shoot a lot better now. But it's like the bones are still the same. And that's what's exciting about the game itself is that it was basically invented on one day. It's a, one of those sort of perfect um, yeah, sports that was you know like like there's an evolution to a lot of these other other sports like football and baseball that just sort of you know you don't know exactly when it was started this was one day he, he wrote down the rules Naismith, and then you know threw the ball out there and it's gone from there so that gets me really excited to see and um in fact i, I kind of been meaning to do a video on this where i can find um instances of like offense being run in the 20s that's still being run today um but that said i think that the in the modern game now the way they play it is um, probably the most exciting for me as far as a, a cross-section of both um, X's and O's and, um, and, and a- offensive actions and then the skill level of the players, uh, which has been it's as high as it's ever been ever. And so those two things, when you mix them together, you give you, uh, you know, that, that makes it pretty exciting for me. That's really interesting because I, you know, I, everyone I think would agree that the NBA is, is a very progressive league. In terms of the policies that they implement, like when they see uh, something impacting the product or the play on the court, they're pretty quick to develop sweeping rules changes. But you you bring kind of a, a great point there in that the sport itself, like the um, you know passing the ball, five players on the court, that kind of thing, really has been since day one. I, I never really uh, kind of made that connection. That, that's pretty cool. So. Uh, I mean, Justin and I have said on the podcast that we really are big fans of of the modern era of basketball. Um, although we have also said that we miss kind of the the big personalities and maybe arguably bigger roles of centers, like from the '90s. Um, can you? So you've said, um, you know, how how much skill is involved today, which I think is totally true. I think it's the most uh, skilled the league has ever been. Are there any cons that you see to kind of that evolution in in more skillful play i mean i suppose yeah if you want to point to the post up being uh a casualty of this uh that would be it only because you know i, I think in the 90s and the 80s and before the big men that did post up had really much better footwork and you can attribute that to you know players who would have normally been in those roles now are just you know playing the perimeter and they're not doing back to the basket things and then plus when the analytics movement came in um, they started to analyze the way the post-up was, uh, how efficient it was. And, you know, by the way, it does turn out that they were kind of um, anal- analyzing this wrong um, because they were missing a whole segment of, uh, of actions, whereas if I do a quick move and I miss the first shot, but then I get the rebound and I put it right back in, uh, they were considering that two separate actions, when in reality it's not because the post-up got you right to the rim and it should just be the same thing. And so it really uh, made the post-up look a lot less efficient than it was. And then people started going away from it, and then it became inefficient. So it's sort of like a weird uh, parallax view here. And so, um, but, but I do lament that that is the one area that's gone away. And also because if we all want to shoot threes, 
Well, the best three you can get is one when the post-up player throws it out from there. So you need the post-up, at least at the very least, to penetrate the defense and then kick it out for the three. So I'm worried that like that's going to continue to go away uh, as people get um, sort of more misinformed about how valuable the post-up can be. Hmm. Um, to that point, um, Matt and I have been reviewing The Last Dance on ESPN, <laughs> and I know you've covered some videos regarding the, the 90s Bulls. Can you discuss how the documentary might have an impact on today's players in particular? Do you see this being a documentary in which the athletes today might just enjoy, or do you think it might be a, a turning point where there might be some aspects of the game that was missing from that era that could be incorporated into now? You know, that's interesting. I mean, I, 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 listen, I grew up in that era. I grew up going to all the Bulls games. So it was like my youth uh, being shown back to me, which was nice. Um, and I mean, like, what would you take away from that? The documentary itself, if I did have a criticism, is that the game footage was not, you know, there was all the, mostly the baseline angle or like the center court angle from on the court. You really couldn't see what was happening from above in the normal, you know, televised angle. So I and I wanted to. I kept wanting to see. Wait a minute. How did they get that layup? You know, they just show a quick pass and a layup. And you know, I get it. They're trying to make it entertaining, and it's not like what I do. But that was one thing I felt that was frustrating for me, and in a way that it might not really impact as far as gameplay goes, because you just never saw the gameplay. You know, uh, you, you get a sense that he was shooting a lot more mid-range, and it, I don't think that's going to impact anybody now uh, if that's if that's what we're looking at. Um, you know, I, I think that there was also a wonder of like, wow, look how much more physical they're allowed to be versus now and what things that would have been a flagrant foul or, you know, or, or a flagrant foul now, you know, weren't even called back then. So um, and but again, I don't know if that has any effect. So I, I, I would be uh, I would doubt it. I think all it really did was add more fuel to the fire of who the greatest of all time was. Mm. If you, um, you know, looking at the modern day sport as it is right now, is there, you know, there's been. A lot of talks on doing things to bring the ball back to the middle of the court or, or I'm sorry, under the basket, the postman uh, getting that center role, quote unquote, fixed. If you want to look at it like that, uh, are there any not only to that end, but are there any rule changes that say you are you know, now the czar of the NBA, so to speak? Are there any rule changes you'd like to see to make the modern day sport better or do you think the rules are pretty solid as as they are right now yeah that's a good question i mean the typical things you hear are as you know get rid of the charge or get rid of the one where the guy stands there and, and then when the guy's in the air and charges on him uh mm. but I, i'm not in favor of that. it's already so hard to defend that you know at least you have that as some amount of deterrence uh by a, an offensive player so that was not you know you hear about moving the three-point line back uh, which causes a problem because then it eliminates the corner three, which is what everybody wants. So that's a tough, tough one. And it probably ends up just benefiting Steph Curry even more uh, when you <laughs> do that. Um, and, we, and we did see in the past, like when, when they moved the line in, it didn't help scoring at all. Uh, in fact, it just made the spacing worse. Um, so that, that would probably not be it. I mean, the hand check rules what changed a lot of this. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, guys on the, on the uh, ball handling could kind of get by other guys easier. Um, and I, I couldn't see myself saying, well, we should put that back in because again, you know, I, I kind of prefer the freedom and the jazz we get when you have it, you know, teams able to play. I mean, I certainly never enjoyed watching when the Bulls had to play the Pistons or the Knicks. It was, you know, it was a slugfest. It wasn't fun. Uh, and the triangle offense did a great job to mitigate some of that, but still it just, you know, it, it was really a slog and it, it didn't, it wasn't the way the game was supposed to be played. So 
I, I don't know. I think we're doing okay. I think the only thing I'm wondering about is like the, the, with the amount of three-point frequency continuing to go up, you know, I'm wondering when that's going to level off and, and, and stop growing. Can, can you elaborate on your coaching experience before you started your um, YouTube channel? Just um, just kind of your background, challenges, successes, et cetera. Sure. I mean, uh, it's funny. I was just going through all my old uh, stuff I had in, the, in a st- storage shed on the side of my house. And I found the uh, in my high school, I found uh, the team I played for in my high school was, uh, you know, t- top team in the city. So I was and you know, I was a, you know, fifth, the fifth man on that team. And uh, so I was always sort of like the coach on the floor, a guy who was always sort of concerned about everybody else and um, didn't necessarily want to like stand out. And also was the guy who studied fundamentals. Um, unfortunately, when I played, we didn't have the fundamentals that we have now. We didn't have the skill training. So nobody knew about the things that we know now. And um, it's probably one of my motivations for being a coach is that I want to be able to help people learn what I didn't learn because nobody played as hard as I, I played harder than anybody. And I practiced as, hard, as much and as hard as anybody, but I just didn't know how to practice. Now we do. And so out of that, uh, you know, I was a let's see, I coached. Uh, I was a basketball manager at the University of Wisconsin. And at, the, at that time, I had the head coach was uh, Stu Jackson and the assistant was Stan Van Gundy and another assistant was mm. Sean Miller. So, you know, I, I, and I, I made use of that time uh, being on the court with them. I didn't just sort of tune out. I really li- focused and listened and concentrated on what they were doing, what they were teaching. And that was a great experience. And then from there, I coached in high school for a number of years uh, as an assistant and then as a head coach. Uh, and then I, so I took over a program for three years in the Valley in the LA at a big, a big public high school. So, uh, another opportunity for me to sort of cut my teeth and learn, um, how to do it on the court, um, in situations where, you know, you had to really uh, coach out of a paper bag, you know, very few, if any assistants, um, you know, and just sort of, uh, sometimes overwhelmed by the opposition's talent level and you, and you learn how to coach. So drawing from that coaching experience, I mean, obviously, all three of us are excited that the NBA is coming back uh, in July, at the end of July. Um, do you see any teams right now from, I don't know, the tape that you've, you've been watching this entire season? Do you see any of the teams, those 22 teams that are heading in, having distinct advantages, given that this is, I, I think, pretty safe to say the craziest NBA season that that we've ever had under these circumstances. Uh, do you see any teams with particular advantages, disadvantages as we head into a few regular season games and then the playoffs? I mean, you can look at 99 when they had a, a shortened season after the, after the uh, lockout. Um, and the Knicks were the, uh, I want to say they were the eighth seed and they got all the way to the finals. And I think that the argument then was, you know, they, they were a veteran team. They didn't need a lot of, uh, you know, practice time to kind of find their rhythm and get back. Uh, and, and so and they got all the way to the finals. So that's that's an example there where like, OK, who are those teams now? Uh, you know, the Lakers are probably that team to some degree um, and the Clippers. And although I don't even know if it changes my opinion anyway, because I think no matter how the season would have been interrupted or not, those are the two teams I'd be favoring anyway. And then obviously Milwaukee. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think those are the three teams you got to look at and see uh, that, the, you know, I, I think it would be Clippers and Milwaukee in the finals, if that's sort of what you're asking. But, um, you know, I think that that's, an, I think, I think at this point with the way this is going and how odd it is, uh, I don't know if anyone's necessarily favored by their composition of the team over anybody else, uh, especially because this pandemic is it's going to be a, a, a psychological thing, too. I mean, I'm really worried about it. I, I'm really worried that something's going to happen or someone's going to get sick. and It's going to cause a whole bunch, mm. bunch of problems. 
Uh, and I have to imagine it's going to be in the back of their mind or the front of their mind or somewhere in their minds. And uh, I, I just wonder if that's going to affect the play. Are you also concerned about a lot of these players conditioning? I mean, a lot of these athletes don't have a basketball hoop where they live at. Um, are you worried that the quality of the product is going to be affected as well? Or, or do you think that's overblown? I have to look at the most recent uh, announcements because they will have time. You know, a, a training camp isn't that long. You know, they, it's like maybe like 10 days. Um, they'll probably get something like that. And I and I, I suspect that they were keeping in shape. But you're right. There's a difference between, you know, riding an elliptical or running and uh, and actually playing in a game. Um, and so but I, I would imagine they're going to have time, especially right now. I think things are opening up where uh, I think I even saw footage of uh, Robert Covington playing in five on five. So, you know, they'll be back. They'll be playing the five on five stuff right now. Uh, and that's a month uh, uh, at least. Uh, what, what are we here? It is now June 8th. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's six weeks so that they could do that. They shouldn't it should not be an issue of uh, conditioning when they start up in, uh, at the end of July. Um, I got a follow up. Do you think with the playoff format and everything that they're doing, are you in terms of how what the commissioner put together in the midst of this pandemic? Um, are you happy the way the playoff format went or were you looking for more experimentation, something different since it's just seasons you're able to kind of play with what's been going on? Or do you think it should be forward as traditional as possible? You know, I, I, I haven't studied exactly how the seating is going to go, but if I'm not mistaken, it's not going to be east west. Right. It's just going to be by seating. So I believe it's going to be um, the West is going to have more teams and then the East is going to have um, fewer teams. And it's basically the, 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 the kind of the best 22 go to Orlando. Um, they'll kind of play the, the season out and it's by winning percentage. That's been a lot of the, the beast with some of the teams is that, uh, for instance, Portland um, already played more games than versus the Pelicans. So um, basically you would have to hope that Portland who just has a going a massive losing streak because Portland already has kind of a tiebreaker. Um, oh yeah. So, but, well, when they make the playoffs though, remind me, is it going to be, it's going to be number one place, number 16, two place 15. I think it's going to be by conference still. Oh, they're going to the conference. Under, see, I that's what I want so. to see. I want to see yeah. them mix the conferences, and I guess they're not going to do that, which is too bad. I want to see yeah. uh, just a pure you know, NCAA tournament-style seating. Um, so that's going to be a bummer. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's already such, such a big asterisk or whatever you want to put on this season that it's – let's just be happy I guess they're playing. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, just one more question for you. Um so, in terms of the pandemic in this season, um, when do you think the next season for 2021 should begin? Do you think it should start on Christmas? Do you think it should just go back to the way things are normally? And then also I want to get your opinion of having no fans. Uh, fans are a big part of momentum in terms of a team being down or um, having a huge lead, et cetera. Do you think that's going to affect the play as well, not having fans in the stands? Well, for the first one, I think it's going to take years to get back to the original schedule that we had starting, you know, in October. Um, I, I, I just you can't you're not going to be able to simply start on December 30 for or December 25th and then be done and then start it normally. Um, I don't think. Uh, and so that will be a thing where you know, I don't mind, by the way, if it started on Christmas every year, uh, get it out of the get, it, get out of the way of the NFL. For me as a business, mm -hmm. it's just always it's always better once the NFL is gone. And I'm also morally opposed to football. So uh, I wouldn't mind uh, not having to be, uh, you know, opposite that uh, anyway. Um, and then as far as the what was the second question? 
Um, just in terms of fans. Um, oh, just yeah. How that's going to affect everything yeah, and having fans be, in the stands. They're, they're going to have a delay. <laughs> I'll tell you that by a couple seconds on the TV uh, to mute out any of the swear words <laughs> that you're going to hear. Um, and it will be different. There's absolutely no question. And that that aside from not being in shape, which I don't think will be an issue, but the no fans could easily be the, what's more strange and uh, causes play early on to be a little bit erratic. Uh, I suspect they'll get used to it and they play, you know, and there's no shortage of those games where they play without fans. But um, a lot of times when you see those games, you know, it's just pick up and no one's really playing and it's not really organized. So um, it's going to be really weird and it'll take them a while. But I would hope that after, you know, six, seven, eight games, they'll kind of just get used to it, fall into that rhythm and they'll be able to achieve what they would have done normally without, you know, 16 or 20,000 raving lunatics screaming for them to do well. Uh, Matt, did you have any more questions? Yeah, yeah, I got uh, one more for sure. And then, Justin, if you have any follow-ups, we can go with that. But um, So, Coach Nick, I, I just wanted to kind of ask you, as someone who loves watching the sport of basketball, as um, someone who, who also likes analyzing games and, and things like that, what would be kind of – I hesitate to even put a number on it, maybe like top three tips or, or things like that that – maybe the casual viewer isn't watching that you would recommend, like if you want to get smarter about learning the game of basketball, what's going on with certain like inbound sets, things like that, defensive sets, what are a couple of things that you would recommend someone do while they're watching the game to be able to digest it and process it a little bit better? Sure. I mean, I think one thing that I, I tend to do a lot of is I'll just isolate my eyes on one player, no matter whether he has the ball or not. And that's kind of illuminating because a lot of times, you know, they blend into each other and you don't realize what one guy is doing the next when it's all they're all cutting through the lane and there's big guys all over the place. It's hard to see. But if you focus on one guy, you start to see little patterns, and little ways and what they're doing that I think I find is usually very useful. And certainly what coaches do, like if they're going to do a, an edit for a player and they want to help them get better, it's all they're doing is staring at that guy the whole time. Um, so that's one thing I would probably say to do as an experiment or as a, as an exercise during, while you're watching a game. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it's sort of rooted on not watching the ball, you know, or keeping it uh, sort of out of, uh, in the peripheral vision and not necessarily just staring through that. Um, you know, I, I always find it interesting to try and get, catch a glimpse of like what the coaches are doing and what they're signaling and what they're, what, you know, okay, there's a big, they're making a big demonstrative motion and now they're going to come down and do something like, hey, what is that? Let's figure that out. Like what, and what was so important about this possession that they had to like control the action more than normal. And, um, so those are the kind of things, you know, I, I guess, you know, when I'm trying to evaluate what's happening in the, in, uh, on the offense, I kind of look at the alignments, you know, where are the players at the very beginning of the possession? How are they aligned? Um, and that just sort of is an interesting thing. Now it might ruin the game for you. I know my wife got so mad at me. I used to write screenplays and I'd always be timing when I watch a movie to see the structure, you know, okay, here's 10 minutes. Here comes the inciting incident. And she <laughs> started to do it too. And got frustrated because she just couldn't watch a movie anymore. Um, <laughs> and I suspect it would be the same thing with basketball. It's not easy to watch basketball with me, even when I'm hanging out with friends, like I always want to be able to pause and jump back and watch another 10 seconds or watch that 10 seconds again, or, or two or three times in a row just to watch every different iteration of player, what they're doing and how that all combined into a, a jump uh, to uh, the score or to a steal. Um, and so that's the one thing is, you know, the, the, uh, the TiVo is your friend and using that jump back button, um, is really important too because you're going to miss 80% of the things that are going on in real time. Mm. 
So kind of a follow-up to that, if you have maybe just, again, kind of putting you on the spot here, but um, maybe a couple sneaky good players or sneaky fun players to watch who you might not expect, um, some of your just favorite players to watch, I mean, outside of, I mean, we all we all love seeing Steph Curry cross someone over and hit a deep shot, obviously. Um, who are some sneaky players that you like to keep an eye on? Oh, well, let's I mean, man, I'm kind of looking at all the lists of teams right now. And it's like I, I haven't even been paying attention to what's going on. I, I have to do a series right now to catch everybody up on what happened this past season. It's been so long. Um, but OK, I'm looking through a list like, OK, stream of consciousness, anything that jumps in my mind. Lonzo Trier on the Knicks is a guy that just is just disgusting what he can do to people. And uh, some of his highlights are just like, what did you just do? It's amazing. Uh, and he doesn't get a ton of run, and I don't know what the story is going to be, but uh, he's a guy who, I mean, I just I tend to really like uh, outrageous displays of skill, and, and, he, and he'll do that. Um, let's see here. Anybody else that's like sort of under the radar? Um, guys who I like. Because, uh, like, you know, it's funny. On Twitter, and I have to kind of always keep curating this, I'll have my favorite players list. And so it's guys like uh, Bogdanovich on the Kings, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like sort of tough and gritty. Uh, they could shoot usually, you know, that kind of uh, feel to it. Um, and so I'm trying to think of who else has been on that list for a while. Uh, and, and gosh, people who follow me are going to be pissed. I'm not. I, it's not Total Recall right now, man. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. I know, I know. But it's like usually so easy. My mind is mush these days. It's unfortunate. It's, this is what the uh, the lockdown has done. Interestingly enough, though, my life is pretty much a lockdown anyway, normally, because I'm just sitting in my office by myself all day anyway, uh, <laughs> going through footage. Um, but is there, let me see if I can get to come up with one more person. Oh, um, let's see here. On the Miami Heat, I like even like a guy like Tyler Hero. I really enjoy watching him play. And I like the other guy, the tall shooter, uh, Robinson, on that team. Robinson, mm-hmm. is his name? Um, you know, uh, those are the guys, too, who I'm constantly going frame by frame and analyzing. Okay, what are they doing in their shot? What are, they, what are their mechanics like? Uh, how can we recreate that? How can we teach that? Um, and so that's another, you know, example there. Uh, you know, I mean, it's funny because even like the, I love the modern game. I want space. I want threes. But a guy like Montrez Harrell, I love him. He's tough. He's mm-hmm. mean. And I was never really I don't think I was ever tough or mean. And I never I think when I coached, I always sort of felt like my players didn't have that meanness in them. And I always trying to struggle to figure out how to teach mean and uh, mm-hmm. but when I see it, I, I respond. And I like it when it's used that way. Uh, and like so, so Harold is a great example of that. And even like even Beverly too uh, is fun. So you know, those are the kind of guys that that are catching my mind right now. Absolutely, I'm gonna come back on this and and look up those players you mentioned from from the Knicks and the Heat. Um, or I guess I mean for the Knicks case, I'll have to wait until next year. But uh, Coach Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I know you are on B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube. I know you are on Twitter as well. Where else can our good listeners follow you? Sure. Uh, Instagram's another big one, and we're getting a more of a coach-centric uh, content feed there. So definitely check that out. I mean, I have a TikTok, man, and it's actually not too – it's like kind of people watch it. It's funny. Uh, so I, I, we're anywhere B-Ball any, – any platform, you pretty much can find B-Ball Breakdown. Nice. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Now we welcome Isabel Gonzalez, sports reporter for the Layer, New Mexico.com, and NBA freelance reporter. Uh, thanks for joining us, Isabel. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's get into it. And I wanted to discuss just your experience covering basketball in New Mexico and just your passion for the sport. So how did you get started? 
So it's kind of funny because I was born in Mexico, which is not exactly a country known for basketball. Um, and I, I did like sports growing up, but it was nothing like very passionate kind of love. It was just like, I'll watch it if my dad's watching. But once I got to UNM, I knew I wanted to be or do something related to media, but I was thinking more like advertising or like film stuff. But I ended up getting an internship with Lobo TV and the Mountain West Network. And obviously I had to watch a lot of sports then. And I thought the environment was really fun and I was doing camera work. And for that, you, you have this one persistence for camera. I was the one at the very, very top. So I couldn't really watch anything. Like you would just watch little people running around. And I wanted to figure out how to get down there. And I realized I was going to have to write. And there was an opening for the school newspaper. So I ended up doing that. And I was covering soccer, men's soccer, for a while. And eventually they gave me the basketball beat. And that's the one I wanted because obviously New Mexico is so passionate about it. And I figured, hey, if I want to become a good journalist, I have to cover, you know, this big sport and really get into it, like be serious about it. And at first, I wasn't so sure how much writing I wanted to do, but it just kind of happened. I fell in love with it. I kept watching more college basketball. I kept watching more NBA. And here I am doing that as my actual job. Gotcha. Cool. So overall, how do you feel specifically with the the Lobos, um, just getting into that, considering the pandemic? How do you see the team adjusting towards that? I mean, it, it hasn't been really a a great couple of seasons for the team. Um, and now you have this pandemic. How do you feel about the, the Lobos chances this year in terms of their recruiting class, just going amid a normal season? Do you think this pandemic could kind of help them rally in terms of bringing more camaraderie towards the team? Or do you think it could be a, a negative? It's a little bit difficult to assess right now. Um, talking to coach Paul Weird earlier this week, he said, the staff didn't actually, like, they talked to the players, but it was more like checking in. But this whole time, they've mostly been making sure they're spending time with their family and just mentally okay. They didn't really talk much about basketball until very recently. So I don't think they've had any extra preparation. It doesn't sound like that at all. I know different schools have been, you know, doing a lot more work after Zoom and just kind of trying to be as normal as possible, but not New Mexico. New Mexico has this kind of like let everyone do their own thing and focus on whatever they feel they need to focus at this time. Um, when it comes to next season, even if there wasn't a pandemic, it's honestly still kind of interesting because, as you know, the Lobos lost a lot of key players last year. Um, like during the season, they lost a couple of their starters. So they, without J.J. Caldwell, they didn't have that point guard that – everyone thought was such an amazing passer and he was really helping the team. So they were not having him anymore. They lost Carlton Bragg, which was one of two bigs the team had. And then they were only left with Corey Manigault, who's gone now because he graduated. So the Lobos do have to fill in those positions. They need to figure out who's going to be their leading board guard, who's going to be their big. And even recruiting watch right now, New Mexico is not getting a lot of those. So that's one of the big criticisms. But then you look at their class and even just their returners. So I'll start with those. Um, Paul Weir is really confident about them. He's saying that those three guys, the seniors, that he believes they're going to be good leaders. And they've shown a lot of talent, of course. You have Keith McGee, who is obviously very athletic and very energetic. His issue before was toning that energy down a little bit. 
But, you know, he's a senior now, so I'm sure he's a lot more mature than when he first came in with the Lobos. You have St. Martin, who's actually one of the only players returning who is averaging um, double figures. So that's good for New Mexico, of course. And Makalat Malawat, he was he wasn't super consistent all the time when he came to offense. But if you remember, he started the season really well, um, like both offense and defense. And his focus was a lot of defense as well. So I think he was already showing signs of being a good leader, even if he is kind of a quiet guy. Um, so, you know, if you have those guys and if they do truly develop, that's going to be pretty good. And the incoming class, you have a lot of young players who have done a lot of stuff in their high school years, of course. Nolan Dorsey didn't play the last two years very much because he was injured. We have Devonta Johnson, who was averaging a double-double of like 30 points and 10 rebounds per game, which is obviously impressive. And it is the high school level, but if he can translate some of that to college, that will be really fun. Um, you have Jeremiah Francis, who's you know also someone who we're going to watch since he came from, from North Carolina, which obviously big school. Um, then we're also talk about Rod Brown. He compared him to Sam Logwood. And Sam Logwood's one of those players that all New Mexico fans remember because not only was he good, but he was a hard worker. And that's what they like to see. They like to see guys who are not afraid to put in the work. And that's what we're comparing him to. So if you have a guy like that, that could be a game changer for the entire team because then the team mentality is going to be that of like, hey, we don't, we haven't earned anything yet. We have to work for everything. Awesome. So, uh, hi, Isabel. It's Matt. Um, I, I was wondering, um, you know, considering those those three seniors returning, I mean, that's going to be huge for the team. Obviously, is there anything that you're seeing or hearing so far from the coaches or just seeing from the players that might be like kind of the X factor for the team this year, or someone who has the potential to be kind of that most improved, maybe didn't stand out as much last year, but really steps it up this year? Not too much, to be honest. Um, there hasn't been that much talk about basketball from coaches. Um, like I said, they kind of took a break from everything. And players have just been spending time with their families. And, you know, their social media posts are not exactly basketball-related all the time. But from everything we saw last season um, and from some discussions, like even just at the press conference, I do think Malawat is going to be a big one to watch because he did show so many signs of that last season. And he was very good, like not always super consistent. And I think even just how quiet he is, um, people don't notice him as much. Even when he was doing really well, it was kind of like under the radar. Like people weren't noticing as much as like they were with all the big scars, the big um, stars. Because I mean, Jake Lyle, obviously that's a player who everyone's going to look at because he makes a lot of noise. But that's also what we were saying. Um, you have these three seniors that were kind of undervalued in his opinion because of who they were playing behind or next to. So that's going to be fun to watch them now take a, that spotlight and not have to rely on anyone else. So, Isabel, let's shift gears and let's kind of discuss sports during the pandemic. Obviously, there hasn't been too much going on, but we did have the the, the last dance, the um, Chicago Bulls documentary. Myself and Matt did pretty much a breakdown of every single episode. Just want to get your thoughts on it. Europeans on how the documentary affected you and how it might change your perception of looking back on the NBA in the 90s? I thought that was really cool. Um, I'm going to be honest. I was looking forward to it as soon as I knew it was going to come out. Um, 
and I was born in 95. So a lot of that stuff I wasn't really, you know, watching. <laughs> but I thought watching it did give me a good, good perspective on what basketball was like back then. Because obviously I'll watch highlights and I'll hear stories, but it was cool to kind of get an insight of that. Um, and just my first experience with Michael Jordan was um, Space Jam. And obviously now I follow basketball more, so I've heard a lot more about him. But it was cool to hear all those stories that I've sort of kind of heard about and actually, like, hear the background of that and hear about all the players that, again, I've heard about but not necessarily studied very closely. Um, so, that you know, that gave me a bigger appreciation for all of that. And I ended up getting Jordan Rules, um, that book they wrote, you know, about, like, the behind the scenes of all of that um, with Jordan. And... I haven't finished reading it, so I can't talk too much about it. But I think it's really cool. Um, it did kind of get me to do more research on, you know, when basketball was at that type of level. Because although it's still popular today, it seems like a totally different world. Gotcha. Do you have – did the documentary change your opinion how you feel about this era of basketball? Um, do you feel like maybe the fans that, you know, watch LeBron and Steph Curry every week um, – really have more of an appreciation of the history of the game? Or do you think this documentary is kind of like a flash in the pan and everybody will pretty much focus on what they're watching now? No, I mean, I think it does give a very good look at how different the game was played because I don't think necessarily, I can't say one was better than the other. Like even with players, like you can't really compare them if they were playing in completely different styles. Um, but they were a lot more aggressive. You watch that documentary and you're like, wow, I don't know how that would fly today. Um, and then a lot of the stuff they were doing, um, social media now, if you think about it, it's such a big part of sports and a big part of everyone's lives. And they didn't have a lot of that back then. So it's just cool to see everything that was going on and just think about how that would have gone today. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think you share um, a lot of the same views that, that Justin and I shared on that, which is kind of cool given that, you know, we're, we're about 10 years older than you were, so given um, when you were born. Um, so shifting gears again to kind of more present day, um, we have, you know, we, we spoke with Jeff Grammer two weeks ago, and, and he was telling us, I mean, pretty much like, College football is returning to practices. Um, players are are getting ready. Uh, basically, long story short, there there's too much money involved for schools to not be preparing as though we're going into uh, fall sports um, as college sports open back up. Um, are you? So I'm. I guess I'm curious. Um, what kind of is going on around uh, UNM right now with the men's team? Where are they at right now? I mean, you mentioned press conferences. Are um, are there any uh, return dates that you're aware of as, as far as players coming back and getting ready? No, I'm not really aware of anything um, when it comes to specific dates. Um, I don't, yeah, as far as I know, they haven't really said anything about that yet. Players obviously they work out on their own and I know they've been doing like a couple workouts here and there. Um, but there's nothing really specific yet. I think they're really taking their time with evaluating all the situations and, you know, with so many players from out of town, like they're trying to make sure they're all, you know, okay in their own environment before 
kind of like having been focused on everything here. But no, that's that's why it's going to be even just this off season's weird because we don't know while other schools are planning those specific dates. New Mexico is being more careful. Gotcha. So there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of talks about the the NBA resuming, which will be the end of July. What are your overall thoughts about how the game's going to be viewed? What's your opinion, you know, watching it closely? Um, are you going to do you like the thought of no fans there? Just hearing more of the discussion between the players. How do you feel about safety? I know recently Kyrie Irving's brought up concerns about um, not only himself, but some other players not wanting to play because of the social um, unrest within the country. What's just your overall thoughts about the NBA returning? So obviously it's like a completely different situation, like from anything that's ever really happened before. Um, and I'm honestly curious to see how it's going to go. Uh, I think it is a good idea to even just attempt to do it because if they are going to eventually bring it back and, you know, as more things reopen in the country, then it's interesting to see how or what precautions they're taking. And it seems like so far they haven't figured everything out, which I think is what is concerning a lot of players. They did figure out that they were going to test them um, starting June 23rd, and they were going to test them every other day, I believe, and then the two days before they leave to Orlando, which obviously that's good because then you're going to make sure nobody's sick before going there. Um, But things they still have to figure out, I think it was, you know, what's going to happen if someone did get sick while they were there um, or what the testing protocol was going to be there. Um, But it's going to be fun to see, I guess, how they handle it. Hopefully, you know, everyone feels safe. I I do think the players should be able to decide for themselves because it's not just them, but it's also about their family. And, you know, basketball is fun, but it's also just a game. And whatever individuals feel is best for them, that's what they should do. Gotcha. Um, so, Isabel, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Go ahead and um, plug what stories you're working on. Um, just give all your social media handles and where we can follow more of your work. Right now, I'm working on just, like, a lot of different types of features on, like, college players. Um, obviously, with the lair, but I also started writing for Mid-Major Madness with SB Nation. So, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and you can follow a lot of the New Mexico stuff. You're a New Mexico Lobos fan. You can follow the lair, um, just the lair doc, uh, nm.com. In my social media, you can follow me at PIsabelG on Twitter. Gotcha, Isabel. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And hopefully to have you back on once the um, Lobo season resumes later this year. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun.